That may be the, <clears throat> the first time and probably the last time I've been called a treat. <laughs> well, we'll let you be the judge of that. <clears throat> Thank you for that introduction, Andrew. <clears throat> I have been in, blessed to be in ministry for a number of years. But um, I think my primary claim to fame is that I am an object of the grace of God. Um, when I was 23 years old, it became real to me. I, I had a college degree at that time, and I thought I knew everything. You know, you put in all that time and do all those classes, and you think you know something. And I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ until I was 23, until I understood that he was the one who died for me personally. I grew up in a church. I was, you know, I can pick out young people here. I was one of those little guys in the church that sat quietly, pretty well behaved, um, you know, filling in the E's in the bulletin, that type of thing. And it was it was kind of a, a, an endurance thing, you know. <laughs> Am I going to make it to the end of the, the service here? <laughs> but when I was 23, I, I, I started to understand this is all about Jesus. It's not about church. It's all about one who made us, one who loves us, and one who came to give himself for each one of us personally. And I, I trusted that, and it's been... Uh, just a wonderful journey and adventure ever since. This morning I'd like to speak to you um, about God, <clears throat> amazingly enough. <clears throat> Several months ago, an acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine up at Conover, <clears throat> was listening to the radio station, Christian radio station, and the announcer had a challenge for the listeners. And maybe some of you heard that same program. But the, the announcer asked people to call in and say, describe God, if you can, with one word. With one word. You get one word. So before, uh, before I tell you what her Awana kids actually said in response to that question. I want to just give you a chance, just for a, a minute. Um, does this end at, at 12 o'clock? What time? <laughs> I won't do that to you, I promise. But I want to give you a chance to, to respond to that. Just, uh, just blurt out a description of God in one word, just one word. Awesome, okay? Loving? Love, okay. Eternal. Holy. Almighty. Forgiving. That's more than one word. <laughs> one of the kids that she asked her, uh, when she asked her class, her Awana class, to describe God in one word, they used some of those th same descriptions. Uh, holy. Three of the kids said holy. Three of the kids said eternal or everlasting. Um, one said ultimate. I like that one. The best one, I think, was, was indescribable. 
because he just like covered it all. <laughs> in one word, God is indescribable. When you talk about theology, when you talk about the description of God and how God reveals himself in his word, uh, you've just got such a massive, massive wealth of information because when God describes himself, he is all those things in, and more. He is eternal. He is love. He is holy. He is everlasting from, from beginning to end. He is all those things and more. This morning, I would like us to look at the person of God as he describes himself in his word. Oftentimes, men want to describe God or invent a God as they want him to be. That's idolatry. They don't want to see him the way he describes himself. They want to see him as they want him to be to make it more comfortable to live in his presence. But when we begin to understand how God actually reveals himself in the word, how he actually describes himself and tells us what he's really like, what happens is that we, as, as human beings, continue to get smaller. As we see how big and how awesome and how great God is, it should have the effect of making us smaller in our own eyes because what he is, we are not. When you see a person who is absolutely, perfectly holy without sin, you recognize that's not me. When you see a person who has no beginning and no end, you recognize again, that's not me. When you recognize a person who describes himself as love, God is love, you recognize, that's not me. I do not always, without fail, act in a way that blesses other people. On the contrary, we're often selfish, self-centered, self-oriented. We're not looking to serve others. We're not looking for their best interests. We're looking for what elevates ourselves. So we look at God and we see how awesome He is and we recognize that's not me. We become smaller in our own eyes. But the effect of studying theology is also to enlarge our hearts to worship Him to be in awe of Him, to fall down before Him because He is so, so other, so not us. When Ezekiel has his vision of the glory of God in Ezekiel chapter 1, he said, So when I saw it, I fell on my face. When Isaiah was allowed a glimpse into the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6, you remember, some of you, what his response was. Woe is me, 
He saw the glory of God and He said, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. That's the response that's appropriate when we see the glory of God. When Job, after all of his suffering, all of his, all of his complaints, when he confronted the Lord Himself, when God came into the picture, his reaction was, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes have seen you, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job wondered what was going wrong in his life with all the problems that that hit him full force. Why, God? Why are you doing this? I'm a righteous man. What's going on? He comes into the presence of God after all of that. And he says, now that I've seen you, I abhor myself. He got smaller in his own eyes. And I repent, he said, in dust and ashes. With the realization of who God really is, all these men had the same reaction. And it wasn't pride. Dan DeHaan in his book, The God You Can Know, he makes this observation that the greatest problem of man, which is pride, the greatest problem of man is destroyed through contact with the revelation of God. You come into God's presence. You start to understand who God is. And it should destroy your pride. Destroys my pride. Many times when we look at theology, it's kind of like a a dry-as-dust type of thing to many people. And they see a theology book and it's two inches thick and they think, oh boy, I'm not going to be reading that. But theology, getting to know God, is the greatest pursuit of mankind. Let not the wise man, Jeremiah said, glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let the man who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's the highest pursuit, Jeremiah says. If you're going to glory in anything in life, if you're going to glory, if you're going to boast, if you're you're going to exalt something in your life, let it be that you know God. We don't have a lot of time, and certainly, you know, when you start talking about theology, and I asked, how do you describe God in one word? You can't do it. It would take many, 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 many books. And millions of years to to actually describe someone who is incomprehensible to the human mind. The God we worship is incomprehensible. The God we worship is infinite. The God we worship is immutable. He's unchangeable. But I want us to look at, at one aspect, one attribute of God's person this morning that we just want to hold on to and just really think about. 
The scripture tells us this. Simply. In 1 John 3.20. God knows all things. God knows all things. Let that statement just sink in for a second. God knows all things. Job says he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees under the whole heavens. Job didn't know everything, but he knew that much. That the God who created him looks to the ends of the earth. He sees under the whole heavens. The psalmist says in Psalm 147, he counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. We don't see many stars when we look up at that dark sky, even though we're in the north woods and we don't have all of the light that filters out the stars in some of the bigger metropolitan areas. But we, we look up and we see a lot of stars, but we don't see a fraction of the stars that actually exist. There are galaxies out there full of stars. We're just a small little part of that. But the Scripture says He counts the number of stars. He knows how many there are. He created them. And He calls them all by name. Jesus reminds us in the New Testament that there is not one sparrow, not one sparrow in this whole galaxy that falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. Imagine someone who has that capacity, who not only counts the stars and knows all the stars by name, but he knows when a sparrow on this little speck called earth falls to the ground. Can you imagine? It's almost incredible, isn't it? But the God we worship this morning, that describes him. The psalmist says again, the Lord looks from heaven He sees all the sons of men from the place of His dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He is intimately and individually involved with each one of our lives. He considers all of their works. And of course, David was awestricken as he considered the Lord's intimate knowledge of all of his own personal activities. O Lord, Psalm 139, O Lord, You have searched me. You know me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my, all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. Think of that. If God in your own mind, was a little too small and you were a little too big when you came into this place this morning. I hope that causes you to repent. Because the God we worship is intimately knowledgeable about every aspect of our lives. Theologians call this 
omniscience. All knowing. One of the great theologians of the last century, A.W. Tozer, says this. I'm going to read it quickly. (laughs) He really nails it all. He says, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and hell. He knows it all. And if there's anything A.W. Tozer left off that list, he knows that too. He is omniscient. God can't learn anything. Do you ever think of that? We're, we're learning all the time, hopefully. God can't learn anything because He already knows everything. He's not like you and me. He doesn't need an education. He can't learn anything. There's nothing for Him left to learn. He never discovers anything. He never is surprised. He never wonders about things. He knows it. individually, personally, because that is the God that we worship. That is the God who reveals Himself in our Scriptures that have been delivered to us. An omniscient God. It's a, it's a gross misconception to think that anything, anything even that we do escapes His notice. Nothing does. Nothing escapes his notice. There were, there were some children. This is a little misconception that this little guy had. They, they were in a parochial school, and in the lunchroom, there was the line of food there, and one of the teachers um, put a little sign by this big pile of apples, and it said, Take only one. God is watching. At the other end of the table, there was a pile of chocolate chip cookies. Some wise guy, a little kid, wrote a sign that said, Take all you want. God is watching the apples. (laughs) Sometimes don't we have that misconception that God's busy elsewhere. (laughs) You know, He's not. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's not just watching the apples. The writer of Hebrews says this, there's no creature, there is no creature hidden from His sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Isn't that a scary statement? There's nothing hidden from His sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. See, the student who thinks he can get away with cheating because the teacher isn't looking has forgotten about something. 
The shoplifter thinks that he has succeeded by walking out of the store unnoticed with the merchandise. The husband thinks his unfaithfulness to his wife is a secret. It's not. The businesswoman who thinks she can pass off cheap merchandise at an inflated price because no one knows. Someone very important knows. All things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Moses said, You've set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Psalm 90, verse 8. Now that's true. I believe it is. I believe as God has revealed in many places in Scripture that He is all-knowing and that we must give account to Him. Then we do have a serious problem, don't we? Because as good as we might look to other people, we recognize that all things are naked and open to Him to whom we must give account. It's not just good enough to stay out of trouble with the law. I've heard a lot of people say, he's really a good person, he's never been in trouble. He pays all of his bills, he pays his taxes, he's a good neighbor. It's not good enough to appear good to other people. Everything we do, every sin that we have committed is in full view to a holy God. Nothing is hidden. Everything is open. It's in broad daylight as far as God is concerned. The omniscience of God ought to scare the wicked man to death. I'm not going to take the time this morning to read Psalm 94, but throughout Scripture in different passages, Psalm 94 is one of them. The writer of Scripture is lamenting how the wicked seem to be getting away with things. They never go unpunished. They grow fat. They grow successful, prosperous, and yet they are cheating people. They're defrauding others. Psalm 94, if you just turn there, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but there is, there is one couple verses after the psalmist has lamented about how the, the wicked are, are exalted, how they boast, they kill the widow, the sojourner, murder the fatherless, and they say this, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive, I'm in the clear. But look at verse 8 in Psalm 94. Understand, O dullest of the people. I always thought that was a personal reference to me when I first read that. Okay, I'm, I'm looking, Lord. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciples, disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Don't ever worry about people getting away with something. 
But we're all in the same boat. If we understand the omniscience of God, that He knows everything about us, even our thoughts, there's only one thing to do. There's no hiding from God who we really are. There's no way to cover it up. There's no way to explain away to God how we have defied Him and broken His laws. There's no way to answer God, the God who knows everything about us. All of the the snakes that are crawling on the floor of our heart, He knows everything and has always known everything about it. The amazing thing is, He loves us. So there's nothing to do except to fall before Him, own up to the fact that we are wretched people. We are sinful people. It's not news to Him. It's what He wants to hear though. And our only recourse is to humble ourselves before Him, to confess our sin, and to ask for forgiveness, to ask for His mercy. See, the good news, the Gospel, is the truth that the God who knows every detail of our lives is also a God who is merciful and forgiving. He knows everything about us. Every dark deed, every evil thought, every selfish thing that we've done. He knows those things. But He loves us and He has provided a way for us to be reconciled to Him in Christ Jesus. As we took the bread and the cup this morning, It was a picture of the all-knowing God reaching out to us and providing a way back to Himself, a way of righteousness, a way of goodness. That's the Gospel. Despite the fact He knows everything, He loves us and He has provided a way. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness all unrighteousness. You know why He is faithful and just? He is just to declare us righteous because of what His Son did. Because His Son took the punishment for our sins. And all of our, all of our dirt and all of our sins were transferred, were imputed to Christ on the cross. And He died so that we might live. He'll never approve of sin He'll never pretend He doesn't see it. But He will forgive it. For the one who humbles himself before God and comes to Him through faith in Christ and what Christ has done for us, there's forgiveness. There's life. There's joy. Because the burden of sin is lifted away. It's forgiven. That's so comforting to me. So much relief. As Pastor talked about the guilt that you came to communion with, because you know. You think you know your sins? God could multiply the sins that we've committed. If you come to communion and you're just so full of guilt, what He wants you to do 
is give that guilt over to him so he can give us the joy of his salvation in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the gospel. It's so simple. We can't do it, but the one who knows us can. He knows us so well, and he loves us. I love that little four-year-old boy, that little Jonathan. He was trying to learn the Lord's Prayer when they said it in church on Sunday. You know, He learned by listening one Sunday as they were praying the Lord's Prayer. He could be heard above everybody else. Our Father, who art in heaven, I know you know my name. That's actually almost better than, I mean, it's as good as hollow would be. I know you know my name, he said. That's the truth. He knows us, but he loves us. What a comfort to know that God knows what we're going through. Not only, he knows our sin, and he's provided a way, but he knows what we're going through. I'll close with this. Some of you remember this song. It was written by a guy named Ira Stanfill many years ago. It's become a favorite of a lot of Christians because it really speaks of an omniscient God who is present with us. Some of you could actually sing it along, but I'm I'm not going to sing it. I'll just say it. He He wrote, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside Him for He knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. Can anybody finish this song? But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. The God who knows you intimately, personally, everything about you, wants to hold your hand into eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are indeed an awesome God. None of us here can even conceive of of one who knows all things. But that's how you've revealed yourself. That's how you've described yourself to us that way. That you know us. You know when a sparrow falls to the ground, you know us.